You're listening to the Grow Further Podcast, dedicated to helping you on your journey to get from where you are now to where you want to be. I'm Christy. I'm Ellie. And we are your hosts. Grow further with us, starting now. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Grow Further Podcast. Super stoked that you're here today because, listen, how many of you have ever been to a presentation or to a conference listening to somebody speak and the and your eyes just start rolling into the back of your head, right? Because you're just bored. You pick up your phone and you start scrolling. Well, none of us want to be that person that's causing that. And one of the biggest difference makers we know in giving great presentations and getting people to lean into us rather than lean away is storytelling. And we are talking to Diana Nyad today. And if that name rings a bell, she is the first person to swim from Cuba to Florida. Okay. And she tried for 35 years. And the record is 110.86 miles in 52 hours and 54 minutes and 18 seconds. She is an incredible person. And many of you might be surprised that when I asked her, what is a topic that you'd like to talk to our audience today about that maybe you haven't talked about before? Her answer was storytelling. Um, her legacy, I should say, that she wants to be known for is storytelling. So we're going to get to learn from her. And, and we're going to take a deep dive into how to be great storytellers, because guess what? We all have a story. It's just a matter of whether we tell it or not. So let's get into it. The interview with the Diana Nyad. I would love to know why is storytelling, you know, because something that I remember you saying is that, which surprised me a little bit is that you want to be known and remembered for being a great storyteller. And that really stood out to me because I expected you to say something else. Um, but you said storyteller. And so I'd love to explore with you, like, why is storytelling so important to you? Well, A, storytelling is important to all of mankind. I mean, how far Absolutely. do we have to go back? We can go to the Egyptians. You know, I was just there. Yes, and the hieroglyphics. In those tombs, you know, you see the paintings on the wall. They're not just pretty paintings. They're there to tell a story. You know, this is how we fish. This is how we hunt. This is how we pray. And there, there are pictures of it. And so you actually see 5,000 years ago what those people were about, what was important to them, and the hierarchy of, you know, the, the people in the society, shall we say, then. And um, so it's not just them, but I'll tell you. When I finish, uh, you know, I am a public speaker. It's a pretty much the way I make my living. And I've been doing this for some 40 years, if not more. So, of course, what means the most to me and what I'm doing up there on that stage is trying to tell a story that has a rollover inspiration for people. I can only tell the story of my life and it has very specific eccentric vocabulary, you know, of, of where I grew up and what my parentage was and, and what the world of long distance swimming is. But if you tell a story well, um, then, you know, there are there are layers of common ground that we all take for them. That's why we read, um, you know, Homer and, and the Odyssey and those stories. We're not living in that world, Greek ships going across the Aegean. But what we take for them from them is, um, you know, if, if it happens to be a story of uh, loyalty, of, of, of loyalty between two individuals or between a, a people and their, their monarch or their king or whatnot. So um, what means the most to me, 
by far, when I finish a speech is if people come up to me and they're not swimmers, they're not athletes, and they say to me, it helped me so much. I've been going through a really rough time. You know, I'm, I'm, somebody might say I've been, I've been facing cancer the last couple of years. Um, I, have a, I have a troubled um, child at home and it's, it's a real challenge. So what, whatever they might say about their lives and, and the obstacles that they're facing, if they say to me, your story and the way you told it helped me, helped me, helped me dig down and find some, some, some common ground, whereas you, as an athlete, use those never, ever give up, et cetera, precepts. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to apply those to my life. I'm leaving this auditorium today, and thank you for giving me that. I feel like I've got a plan, you know, to get through to my my other shore, whatever it is. So that's by far number one. I feel so lucky um, that I'm in this position uh, as a speaker. I, I did an off Broadway show two years ago, um, oh, cool. you know, as a as a as a writer, you know, all that stuff to hopefully inspire other people to chase their dreams. Uh, to, to, to get over the, the lumps that are, that are in front of them, all that stuff. But the second thing that means the most to me, uh, when, I, when I get down off the stage, if somebody comes up and says, wow, can you tell a story? Uh, you know, is there's, there's, there's something to the talent of telling a story. In some ways, that swim, the famous one I did, Cuba to Florida, is now eight years ago. It's a long time. You know, I'm trying to live a current life. I don't want every day to say, oh, yeah, that was me. I did that. But in telling that story, I not only drag up those precepts, you know, that that helped me get across teamwork. You're never too old to chase your dreams, all those realities that that swarm around that story. But I, I, I tell it well. I've decided to fashion a a um, a drama, a narrative about it that is much more interesting than you know. I'll give you an example. So I don't just stand on stage and say, "Well, you know, uh, I, I got over to Cuba and I got over to the starting place and I was standing on the shore." I take it to the present tense, and I'll tell you later in our conversation who inspired me to do that. But I say it's the fifth time. I'm standing on the Havana shore looking out at that horizon. And today it looks farther away than it's ever looked before. So now you're with me. You're on that shore. You can smell the sea salt in the air. You can see the boats, my crew that are out watching, you know, and I'm watching them right up. So now we're in something where you, you, you see the sights, you smell the smells, you hear the sounds, and now we're in it. You're in it with me. Yeah, I don't know if you remember, there's a phrase from Othello that goes in medius reus. And in Latin, that's in the middle of the storm. So Othello starts the storm is raging and whoop, you're in it. So right. I try to, instead of usually starting my talks with, hey, everybody, it's really great to be with you today. You know, sometimes you have to do that in a corporate world. Sometimes sure. you do. Uh, but as a general rule, I just did a speech at, call, here the other night called the Distinguished Speakers Series. And I decided to stay off stage. They introduced me. There was some applause 
And I stayed off stage and blew my bugle. So they don't know who's blowing that. Uh, you know, it could be a band. And then I step out on stage with the bugle. So now they got the clue. And I blow the, the final line. And I say to them, get up. Don't miss the dawn. Don't miss your life. And, and so you're now we're in it together. There's no nice little talk like, isn't, isn't it a beautiful day? Was it, you know, I hope you guys are doing well. And, you know, it's just, let's get Which it. Which is the way a lot of people start. Yes. Right. Maybe. That's very common. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not interested in that, all that little chat. And unfortunately I, I do have to fall into it. Sometimes you want to thank people who have brought you in. You want to be gracious. And, and if you Absolutely. know something about the group, refer to them a little bit, but as a general rule, if I have a more creative setting, like a theater, then I'm going to start in medias reis. I love it. And what and, I'm really hearing from you too, is that what moves people to do things is feeling something. Yeah. Right. It's not just cognitive, like I'm listening to what this person is saying, but actually getting someone to feel something immediately. Yeah. And, and even if they don't understand what that is that they're feeling exactly, but it sounds like you are a conductor of emotions yeah. in a way <laughs> that just brings people in. You yeah. know what else is really interesting too, is the way that you started, even when you were talking about, you know, blowing your bugle, it, we have this preconceived notion, I think, a lot of times that we need to have a beginning, a middle, of the, and an end, that a story needs to be linear. And what I love about that is you made it an environment where people felt like they were dropping in in the middle. Like you caught their attention right away because it was so stark and so surprising that they felt like they needed to lean in right away. And you 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 got them, you hooked them right away, which is sometimes the most difficult part. It's like a movie that drags and drags and drags. And you're like, ah, I have people to watch aren't watching it for a anymore. To get people into stop it. watching. Yeah. So that that ability to just reach out and grab people right from the beginning and then keep them there. I mean, that's an art. That is an art, one hundred percent. Yeah, it is. And, and Ellie, I, I, I think you're you're capturing in your words what in Medius Reus and the fellow means. You're in that storm. Now we're going. We're on our way to to a story. And when you hear that bugle, you think, <clears throat> what what's going on here? And you feel like get up. You know, you can't sleep through that bugle. And what what does that mean? You know, what what are we hearing here? So I try not to proselytize. I'd rather tell a story and you take from it you know, what you will. There was a sports documentary filmmaker named Bud Greenspan. Bud's no longer with us, um, but he made some beautiful films that won a lot of awards. And he was my champion. And what happened was long time ago when he was a kid, he was 19 years old, New York City. He was a cub reporter for a newspaper in New York City. And he was sent to the 1948 Olympic Games, uh, which were in London. And uh, he was just kind of a junior. He could never get in to get the big interviews at the huge events like the men's 100 meter dash and the women's 100 meter swimming finals. He was the last in line. He got the worst interviews. So he called his boss. I don't know in those days how they called, you know, teletyped or something back to New York. <laughs> but he said, tomorrow, I'm not going to the, to the men's uh, 400 meter final. I, I can't get anything. I'm the last in line. But I heard about this pistol shooter from, um, I think he was from Hungary. Anyway, he he won in the last Olympic games, which were before World War II, they, they skipped to Olympics. So he won pistol shooting with his right hand. 
And evidently it's very difficult to switch hands. You know, your eye dominant is what it is. It's not just your hand, but if your eye tracks with one hand, it's very difficult to switch over and track with the other. But he lost his hand in the war fighting for his country. And now all his buddies on his, uh, you know, in his regiment were here in London with him, along with his family. And he was going to try to win the gold with his left hand. So he teletyped or whatever uh, to his boss in New York. And the boss wrote back and said, if you're not at the men's 400 meter final tomorrow, you're fired. So the next morning, the boss comes down to, uh, you know, in his apartment to the dinner table, uh, breakfast table, and his wife is in New York, is reading the newspaper, and she's sobbing. And he says, what's wrong with you? What, what's, what happened? And he said, she said, I'm reading about this pistol shooter. He lost his arm in the war, and all his buddies are here, and now he won, which, see, which is impossible to do with the wow. other hand. And this guy, the newspaper guy, wrote Bud Greenspan back and said, get me some more of those pistol shooter stories. So, <laughs> so Bud made his whole career over telling the story of like the little guy or the, you know, the, 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 the engine that could, but the he underdog, the underdog, but more than that, he told all his stories in the first person. None of the narration ever said once upon a time, there was a pistol shooter. He says, you know, uh, Jesse Owens, is standing 20 meters from Adolf Hitler at the 1936 Olympic Games. Well, that's all you need to know. You got shivers going down your spine. A black man is standing just feet away from Adolf Hitler in the Olympic arena. That's all you need to know to get you going on this story. But you hear it? It's in the present tense, not like well, you know, back in 1936 at the uh, at the Olympic Games, which they called the Hitler Games, Jesse Owens, it was his day. No, Jesse Owens is standing 20 meters from Adolf Hitler. That's, you know, it's just, it's just brilliant. So I'm not brilliant yet, but that's the storytelling framework that I try to use, the present tense in media reis. So it, almost transporting someone right there immediately, you know, I wonder though, for some of us, I'll I'll raise my hand and be vulnerable to say, I don't know that I have like that pivotal moment in my life that I can stand back and say, this is my story, uh, or this is the story that I would tell to inspire. So how do we create that space for people who might not have such a a huge momentous life event like you have, or, you know, like others have that are, that are very well-known storytellers, how do we give them the space or how should they think about storytelling for themselves? Like how do they, they identify those moments that warrant a story? Yeah, you know, I think that, um, first of all, stories don't have to be about, like your words, big momentous occasions, you know, making history or being the only person ever to do something. So, you know, let's just say you're uh, you're a leader at your at your work. You know, you're one of the um, you, you could be the big CEO or you could just be, you know, a, you know, somebody who's in charge of a particular division or a particular project that's going on. And it's up to you now to stand up and report what's what, what you guys have been doing for the last six months. And you could stand up and just fill it with cliches. I'm so proud of my team. They've really rolled up their shirt sleeves. They've been in here late at night 
you know, and now we're, we're presenting to you, you know, our findings and, you know, I think you guys will appreciate, you know, the work we've done. Well, you know, that, that's, that's pretty sincere. That sounds pretty good, but it would be nothing as if you said, do you all know Margaret Shipman on my team? Because if you don't know Margaret, you need to. This is a person who's raising three children on her own. Her husband died five years ago. She's got a big job here and it's tough with those three kids whom she cares about. But who gets here first in the morning? Who gets here at 625 every day? Who leaves the last of our at our project meetings every night? Margaret Shipman. And this report, yes, we could say our whole team did it, but honestly, Margaret, you, you are the one who took us over the top. And you know what, Margaret, you do you deserve a break. So why don't you take a few days off and be with your kids? Well, I just made that whole thing up. Just made the, the name. Up. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask. Like, is made this real whole, person? Made the whole thing up. Oh, great. But but imagine, aren't you more interested? And now you say your your, your boss is going to say, "Wow, what a story!" And what a, and, and way to give kudos to somebody on your team like that. And everybody's going to rise up and want to be that Margaret Shipman. And now she she gets a few days off. You know, I so love it. it's so, not focused on the results. Yeah. You know, it's not the accomplishment. Like this is what the person did, but it's almost like the example that you just shared is Margaret, even though she might not be a real person in this moment, I feel like I'm connected to her, even though she isn't real yeah. because you started talking about her as a person and who she is and her identity. Yeah. And it just says that there's more to us than the results Yeah. that you we know, accomplish. It is. It's sort of like, it's, 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 it's a way for us to get away from cliches because cliches don't mean anything anymore. You know, they're inauthentic. So, uh, what? They're, they can be very inauthentic. They're not personalized. Oh, exactly. I mean, how many times do you hear it's sort of a, uh, you know, a, a younger generation's word, but so many people just leave things with, how was your vacation? Um, you know, how was your time at, at school this year? What not? And say, it was amazing. Oh, she was my teacher. She was amazing. And let's just leave it there. Well, what in the heck does that mean? You know, or you would say that, you know, my teacher, my teacher took me to a world I didn't think I cared about. You know, I'm, I'm not, I, I, I didn't want to take math. You know, I just think, why should I take math? I, I just, I can just use my phone and look up anything I need to look up. But this teacher made math exciting. This teacher took her, us into Einstein's world and how, how special that mind of his was. And all of a sudden math became a, a, a universe that was, that was exciting. It gave me insight into, you know, the history of how we do things in the world. How we, how did we get to Mars and plant, plant a little rover camera within a few feet of where we thought we were going to plant it all the way to Mars? We did it through math. And so this teacher made math um, exciting instead of just saying, oh, I had this math teacher and she was amazing. Yeah. Just you know what I think it, the difference is? is it means that you actually have to be paying attention, right? Enough. It's easy. Anybody can say, that, oh, they were amazing. Yeah. And you might have not even been there. So yeah. to provide that level of effective praise, where you're actually naming behaviors, naming how it made you feel from start to finish, that yeah. requires that you're actually present in that moment. Yeah. yeah. Ellie, are you thinking that? Well, you know, we've talked to not only that, not only being present in the moment, I'm, my mind is starting to go to why people don't tell stories. 
Like, why do we stop at the, it was amazing? And, and really, I'm trying to think about what it is that prevents us from, from engaging in that way. Is it, it opens us up to vulnerability? Is it that we, you know, think, do we think in our mind that our story isn't good enough? Kind of like the question I just asked, right? Do we downplay our own experiences where we think, oh, that's not interesting enough? So that's where my mind actually went is, you know, what's standing in our way of using stories as a tool? Because it's so powerful. I mean, even when you were talking about our friend Margaret, right? I got chills when you started talking about her and who she was as a human being and what matters to her. When you were talking about the team and thanks everybody, at, you know, at a, at a boy, at a girl, that didn't, that didn't entice me, that didn't draw me in at all. So I just, I, I can't help but wonder why people don't leverage this more, why they don't reach into their toolkit more often and pull out this ability to just add color, you know, to what other might otherwise might be a black and white or a sterile world. Yeah, well, I think you've hit on something there, Ellie, that's that's very much true. And that is people think that they don't have the a story enough good enough to tell or don't have the skills to tell it well. But as you can see, it doesn't take much to say, you know, does everybody know Margaret Shipman? Do you, do you know her story in terms of her three kids and her husband dying? And has anybody seen when she clocks in and when she clocks out every day? It's a pretty easy story to tell if you believed that that would mean more to people than just saying, thanks to my team. They've just worked really hard. Uh, I'm really proud of them all. And let's give them a hand. You know, so it's it take, it's laziness, too, I think. It's, it's like, you know, I don't know about you, but I've just um, kind of wail against the word, the words, it's my honor. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't those be some of the biggest words you could say if you stood up in front of people, you could say, you know, it's it's such a pleasure to be here with you guys today, you know, but or, or how, much, how much fun you all are. I'm so happy to be with you. But when you go to it is my honor to be here. You know, I only want to say that if it's, if it's a pretty rare occasion, it doesn't just happen at every PTA meeting I, I, I would join to say what an honor to be here. So, you know, I might say something if I stand up in front of a group of, um, I just spoke to the um, Wounded Warriors Project. And so I could just say, it is my honor and I really mean it. But because it's become such a cliched phrase, I wanted to frame it so that they would, they would believe me when I say it's my honor to be here. And I said, I have sat in the Oval Office with President Barack Obama. You know, I, I've had a chance, you know, to, to sit with Bill Gates you know, in, in, in where he presides over the entire tech world of the universe in Seattle. And here I am with you today, and never have I have had a bigger honor to be with a group who has given so much and who means so much and who has been thanked so little as to be with you all, the wounded warriors. So now to hear, oh, she's been with Barack Obama and she thinks we are a bigger honor than they are, uh, than, than he was. So, you know, I, I think that... Um, I think that we we rely on cliches, you know, he was amazing. What an honor to be here instead of giving a little bit of thought. You know, doesn't it doesn't a group in front of you warrant whether you're writing to them or you're speaking to them orally? Doesn't a group warrant some some thought, some lack of cliche, some lack of laziness to really describe what it is, you know, you're doing there? You know, I will share with you that um, at the TED Talks often, uh, they hire a, a storyteller kind of 
you know, expert. And that person will often work with scientists or people who don't do a lot of public speaking. And uh, they do the worst thing, the ones I've seen them, you know, do is that they'll say, well, why don't you come out and um, instead of speaking right away, put your finger up to your, to your, you know, on, onto your cheekbone like this and look off to the side as if you're thinking. You know, so, and they, in, in one TED conference, they may have taught 12 people that, and each one of them comes out on stage and goes, you know, my, my, no. work. and it's just, it's so bad. It's, it's just so bad. Inauthentic, you it's know, so inauthentic. and I'm that. not, yeah. I'm not ragging on TED because uh, TED, TED's a great group. And I, I've been, I, I've done a lot of TED talks and, and they've had other types of people, but I'm just saying, get away from cliches, you know, really really have enough respect for the people you're speaking to that, that you're going to sit down and say, what, why is this important? What, what do I have to say that's, that means anything to these people? And how can I bring it down to a just a day-to-day level storyteller? You know, one thing you guys said in the beginning was, well, what if people are intimidated? They don't feel like they have some world-class story to tell, you know, something that right. no one in the world has ever done. But truth is, when I think about the people I admire in life, I could tell stories about Barack Obama and uh, Nelson Mandela and all kinds of other people like all of us admire. But the truth is, if I think of a next door neighbor, you know, I had a next door, uh, he wasn't next door, but down the street who uh, lost his job over COVID and um, it was kind of down and out. And he decided instead of sitting around smoking pot every day um, to build a tree house with the local kids. They were out of school. They were, you know, just not getting enough activity, not, not engaged very much. So he went, he'd never built a tree house in his life. He got permits to build on an empty lot somewhere. And uh, he started getting reclaimed wood. He taught the kids about, you know, what virgin wood is compared to reclaimed wood, what's best for the environment to use. They made blueprints. He had never done it before. He looked up in an architecture, you know, uh, thing online. And the kids, they all built a kick-ass treehouse. And I admire that guy. He got the whole neighborhood involved, all the parents, all the kids, and they built something that was photographed for the local press and whatnot. And, um, you know, so you can tell a little story from your neighborhood that, that right. again, has at its core, you know, ingenuity and, and sharing something inspiring with the kids right. instead of just playing video games. So you can tell the smallest story that can mean quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. So when I think about just to summarize a little bit, because I think our listeners are going to be like, this is amazing. And it's hard to remember all of these amazing tips. So when we think about like when to tell a story, some things that I'm hearing from you, Diana and Ellie is, you know, when you want to inspire a group of people, um, that's one time to consider telling a story. Another time is to connect, like just to connect on a human to human level to get people leaning into you rather than leaning away. Um, possibly a time to tell a story is perhaps when you want to recognize a person, Yeah, you know, when you want to celebrate a person or something that they've accomplished instead of focusing on those results, let's focus and tell a little bit of story so that people get to know who they are. What am I missing there from when for our listeners, when to consider telling a story beyond always encouraging our listeners to be your authentic self and to share a story when you're, you feel like you need to, to ensure that you connect or get across a, a point or a lesson perhaps that you want people to take away. Yeah. I, I think you've got the, you know, the, the basic 
timing, which really, if you sum up all the times you mentioned, it's like anytime, <laughs> anytime you open yeah, it, for a story, is yeah. good, you know, but I, but I think one of them is, is just to share your own person, you share your own values. So, so, you know, if you're to stand up and someone, you know, you want people to get to know you, let's say it's a meeting and you're about to start, you know, the real crux of the meeting, you might tell a not too long winded, long winded is not good, but you might tell a, a short story about, you know, you, let's just make it up, you and your um, connection with your your brother who's died and and he was a big chess player and you used to admire so much how quick he was with the chess board and and uh did you and, just make that up as well yeah and you and you you wish you uh you know could have could have known him better and, and you wished he had That's gone great. to the top of the world in chess but you tell this story more to them to say well, you're trying to make a point though it's not just a right yeah know, abstract story standing on its own but you're what you're really saying to them is I'd, i i've been working with you guys for a year and i don't i don't know you well enough yet you know how mm-hmm. how could we how could we work this hard on this thing and it's not like we have to go out and have drinks together but i gotta pass by your desk or you pass by mine and sit down and tell me about your chess playing brother you know i wish i had known my brother better i wish i'd spent more time but i'm not gonna let this career of mine with you guys go by without getting to know you, you know? Yes. So, you know, telling to get to know one another. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which can also create the safety for other people to share, you know, to Ellie's point, sometimes people don't feel confident or feel like their story is worth hearing, but everybody has a story. Everybody you know comes I, from somewhere and experiences. So yeah. it creates that safety for everybody to share, to get to know each other. Yeah, Ellie, what you got? Well, you know what else I find fascinating is that like think of thinking about the stories that we've heard so far, which I, I, I love them. The, the ones that were real, the ones that were kind of off the cuff. The interesting part is that it takes just as much time to say to the example of recognizing your team, this team did some hard work and I'm really grateful for the work they did versus telling that personalized yep. story, actually taking the time to, to bring them uh, into like behind the veil almost, like to take a sneak peek and and be behind the curtain of what really is going on and bring them there. It takes the same amount of time. So when you're choosing between using words that may or may not have impact, why not use that time, use that effort to actually make an impact and tell a story if you can? And I think that that was, that's another one of my takeaways too. Yeah is that sometimes we do it because either laziness or we convince ourselves that we don't have the time. I mean, you're spending the time anyway. Spend it impactfully. All right, everybody. That completes part one with Diana and Iad. And look, if you're still wanting more, don't worry. We've got her coming back for part two, where we're going to be talking about what inspires her. We're going to be getting into more tips for storytelling. And there may or may not be a connection from Diana Nyad with Annette Benning. So stay tuned to learn more about that. And between now and then, grow a little bit further, everybody. We'll see you again soon. Thank you for listening to the Grow Further podcast. If you'd like to help us grow further, please subscribe. And don't forget to let us know what you thought of today's episode. 